Hey, how great was that baptism, huh? Evan from California, the law professor, the soldier, Christ changing his life and using him to impact others. And my man, Nick Crawford. How about Nick? Um, Nick is a... Nick is, um, you know, a national champion, national champion team tennis player, uh, a record holder in college baseball, but let's be honest, Nick's not a big guy. Evan is. Some of y'all know I was just sitting there going, oh, Nick's first baptism. I did this to Nick. But thank God for God's strength through that. So grateful. Some of you know good friends of mine. I don't know if they're here today or not, but um, Austin and Lydia Moore, they're, they're great folks. About... I'm guessing about a year and a half ago, someone texted me about Austin and Lydia. And I got a, it was a late night text. Actually, I was right out in the parking lot on a Saturday night and around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And they said uh, that Austin Lydia's Moore's cat, Gus, died. And, you know, I'm a pastor. I want to love our people and come around you when you have needs in your life and be compassionate. So I sent Austin a text, said, man, sorry about Gus. And he texted me back immediately and he said, Robert, how hard was that for you to say? <laughs> In the spirit of that, I want to just say this morning, get out of the way. I just want to say hotty toddy. All right? In fact, we've done a couple of hymns of the faith. Let's have some like responsive reading, if we will. I'm going to say hotty toddy again. And then all my Ole Miss fans, you, just, you guys just say, Robert, how difficult was that for you? Y'all have that? Can you do that? Hotty toddy. Very, <laughs> very difficult. Uh, I'm just going to impose the minister's moratorium, no more football talk for the rest of the fall, okay? And I'm serious. I'm serious about that, all right? It's not allowed in this sanctuary. This is the house of God. Let's move on. <laughs> Read a story of a man who would go to uh, his barber, and he liked his barber, would keep frequenting him for haircuts, even though his barber was a negative guy, chronically negative, always had just critical things to say, saw the glass half full. You know some of those kind of folks? And that was this man's barber. And he was trying to, he, all, he, he would talk about his life. He would talk about his family and relationships, his work, just beautiful things around, but just got criticism, got negativity from his barber. And he knew, he was a Protestant guy, but knew that his barber was Catholic. And he told him one day, he said, hey, guess what? I'm going to Italy. And I got a chance to meet the Pope. And the guy's like, ah, you're not going to meet the Pope. You know, Italy's not that pretty anyway. He goes over, meets the Pope, comes back and says, guess what? Told his barber, I met the Pope. I said, no, you didn't meet. No, really, I did. I, I was in the receiving line. I bowed before his chair. I kissed his ring. And he spoke to me. He said, no, I didn't. Yeah, he spoke to me. What did he say? He said, where'd you get that lousy haircut? <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk about hierarchy. We're going to talk about rank and status, what divides us, what, what pulls us together, what kind of people that we ought to be, and what Jesus really taught about all these things. You know, we're in a series uh, based on one scripture. Everything's flowing from this beautiful passage from a minor prophet named Micah. Now, remember, we've learned that, that the minor prophets don't mean less important. It just means shorter passages, shorter text. In Micah 6, 8, it says what? Say it with me, if you will. Let's all memorize this. Most of us have, if you've been here. We, uh, one thing is required, right? What is it? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. On September the 6th, I believe it was, we talked about doing justice quoting from the prophets and looking at the life of Jesus and how important 
It is. And if we're going to be a church for the future, we need to go back to what is ancient. And we need to be people of justice. Uh, Martin Luther King quoted the prophet Amos when he said, let justice roll like a river. Don't you want that in our day? Let me tell you, if you're my age and older, we need to get out of the way because young people long for that. Uh, that's why I love the prophets, because when we look at the world too often in the church, we've cleaned up the stories for Sunday school. But violence is raging in our world and injustices abound. And the call for us is to take what God said a long time ago and let it ring with relevance in our time, in, in our day. And Micah says this, do justice, love mercy, uh, walk humbly with our God. We looked a couple of weeks ago, or last week rather, about this idea of, of loving mercy. And what does mercy mean? It means kindness. It means alleviating uh, the misery of others. And that's the call for the Christ follower. Today we're going to look at this idea, this, this invitation for you and I to, to walk humbly. To walk humbly. Jesus, in his teaching, it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 20. In fact, why don't you, if you love to open a Bible, I encourage you to turn to cha uh, Matthew chapter 20. I won't tell you the verses yet. Just get, get to that area, and then we're going to refer to it toward the end of this message. We'll read it together. We'll have it up on the screen for the lazy folks. Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, you have heard it said, or you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles, they, they lord it over others. The high officials exercise authority over another. Notice that expression that uses over another. When someone's lording it, when someone is not walking humbly, when they're arrogant, when they're proud, what do they do? They, they, you see it in football, right? We're not going to talk about football anymore, but you, you know, a player uh, stands over another player. You know, I'm one of those guys, I guess I'm getting old. I'm like, I just want all those guys flagged, right? No matter your team, when you stare over a guy like that, just you know, throw a flag. There's uh, over you. The, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded it over them. The higher authorities, they exercised authority over others. And Jesus is going to say, we're going to look at it later. He's going to say, not so among you. Not so. There, there's something that should be different about you. When Jesus said these words, really important to hear. When Jesus said these words, he said it, he spoke it into a society where there was rank, status, power. There was a hierarchy. Much more visible, much more real, much more orderly in the society in which Jesus said these words about the rulers of the Gentiles lording over, about those in higher authority exercising authority over other people. I don't know if you guys know much about chickens, do you? Any chicken farmers in the room or just, yeah. Chickens are, they're ruled or they have a, they have a governmental system. Do you know this? And it's called, I mean, it's clear. I mean, it's really clear. I didn't know until studying it recently. I mean, this thing is like legit. Okay, and it's known as what? When you put chickens in a cage, it's called a, it's called a pecking order. Do you guys know about the pecking order? I mean, there's something to be said about the pecking order. And if you put 10 chickens in a pen or an enclosed space, you're going to have, you, you know this, you're going to have one through 10. One through 10. There's not going to be a CNN, USA Today coaches poll and an AP and a BCS and a whatever. whatever. There's going to be a top 10. It's going to be very clear. You're going to know who the number one chicken is. And the, the, the chickens that are at the highest of the rank, status, power, and pecking order, these chickens, they eat first. They own the turf. They rule the roosts. And the chicken that's number 10 on the last uh, many, many days, many times, many ways goes hungry. That little chicken feels lonely and afraid and very pecked on slash picked on because he is. There's a pecking order with chickens. 
And Jesus comes into this world. And by the way, there's a product called Peck Be Gone. For real, you can Google this. There's a product that you can buy at certain stores uh, online, I'm sure, called Peck Be Gone. And you can you spray that on the chickens and it smells really bad. And the goal was to keep the runts, the, the chickens on the lower rung of the ladder, to keep them from being pecked on or picked on. And it doesn't work over time. Now, if you get this product and spray it on your, it's going to work for people. It's going to be very bad for your romantic relationships, which is really bad for some of you. But, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it doesn't really last. The pecking continues. I, I was reading this week about one man back in the day in Arkansas, no surprise there. In Arkansas, this man invented contact lenses. You can read about this, contact lenses for little tiny little chicken eyes. And he put the contact lenses on to where it obscured their vision so they couldn't see the powerful and the authoritative and whatnot. It would block, block them. And it actually worked. It stopped a, a good bit of the hierarchy, the pecking order, but the chickens couldn't manage their contact lenses and many of them would, would go blind. And so that just didn't work. Into this society, Jesus speaks the words that they rule over. Those who are high above rule over. They lord it over the Gentiles. And into this society, Jesus speaks these words about rank, status, power, hierarchy, pecking order. Cicero, a great Greco-Roman thinker, said this. You could tell how entrenched they were. Rank must be preserved. Why would he say this? Because if you've been in any group, any family where there's four or more or 10 or 20 or 100 or a room like this, it's kind of important to have order, isn't it? I mean, everybody's a fan of order. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, hey, find your gifts. The body of Christ is a body. Christ is the head, not a dude on the stage. Christ is the head of the body. And all of you, we, we have many parts. You know, sadly, the American church today is expressed this way where, where some people are doing everything. But Jesus intends that everybody does something. And there, we are a body of many, many parts. Christ is the head. But in order for us to exercise our gifts, there's a variety of gifts. You've got gifts I don't have, vice versa. But use your gifts and do so in a very peaceful and orderly way. And there is leaders, leaders that need to be uh, respected and honored to an extent. Those leaders aren't above. Those leaders don't rule over. Those leaders, uh, more than anybody, are to walk in humility, to walk humbly with their God. But into this, into this rank, I speak now, considering Jesus' words in their historical context, rank must be preserved. Who do you think really wanted to preserve the rank? People, you could talk to me. People at the top. The people at the top. What was the ranking? Let's, let's, do, let's walk through this society the, in the Greco-Roman world. At the top was the emperor. Now, the emperor was godlike. There was things of great importance named after him. And this was, this was the ruler in almost every case was a man. And this guy called all the shots. Below the emperor was the Senate. And in the Senate, this was a group of 600 men, all men, who had great wealth, vast wealth, and they were part of the ruling class. They came under the emperor. After the Senate in, in rank is the equestrian. This was the high-ranking uh, aristocracy class they would buy, sell, and ride horses, as the name might imply. They, listen to this. This is crazy for us. They attach status to a mode of transportation. Isn't that stupid? I mean, it's so primitive. 
You know, preachers are always looking for illustrations, way to tie in ancient to the, to the modern. I was, I was like, I racked my brain this week, man. Is there any group today that attaches status to their mode of transportation? I, I, try, I just couldn't think of any. But the equestrians, uh, below them, the decurrence. Now, look, um, Google that later, find out something about the decurrence. But uh, the, the top four of the rank in the Greco-Roman world at the, at the time of Christ, uh, that represented, you ready for this? It represented about 2% of the total population. After the decurrence are the citizens. The citizens had rights. The citizens had freedom. The citizens could vote. They could own land. They had due process of law. They couldn't be punished. In our society, aren't you glad for this? Aren't you glad you live in a world today in a society like America where you are innocent until proven guilty? Below the citizens were the freedmen. And the freedmen, they had liberty. This is, I won't explain it this morning. They had liberty, but they didn't have rights. They couldn't vote. They couldn't own land. They were almost at the very bottom. They could be. They could be convicted without due process. They, it was dangerous. It was tough. It was demeaning to be a freedman. Very large percentage of the population. At the last, before we put it up, guess. Slaves. Slaves were at the bottom, and they were not considered to be people. They were considered merely to be property. And slaves, um, their form of punishment their, when, when they're sentenced to death is what? It's crucifixion. Do you know that no one, not even the freedmen, were ever crucified? Everyone was spared except for the slave. You could do what you wanted to with the slave. You could kill your slave without any fear of reprisal. And slaves were the most dishonored of the people. And into this world, Jesus speaks about love, life, about leadership, about the type of people that we ought to be, about the man he is, the God-man he is, and why he came into this rank. Put that next quote up, if you would. Cursus honorum. There was a popular expression at the time. And this meant what? The race for honor, the race for honor. There was this climb, that's what we would say today, climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder, getting up high, going to the top. Next slide, please. Mark Anthony, not the one who married J-Lo years ago, but a different Mark Anthony, he once said to Caesar Augustus, your grandfather was a rope maker and a freedman. And that was, I mean, just to be clear, that was an insult, okay? Uh, we talk about everybody's mama today, right? Your mama is, you can, you can go online and see all, a series of your mama jokes. Your mama this, your mama that, right? That's how we got people back in my day on the, on the playground. Don't, don't do this, guys. Your grandfather was a rope maker and a freeman. What was, what was Mark Anthony saying? He was saying, hey, I know you're up here to Caesar Augustus. I know you're up here, but you came from down here. That's who your people are. And in that, in the spirit of this quotation, as I've studied this week, in the spirit of this remark to him, this stinging remark, it was, it was meant to what? To belittle, to demean, to bring them down a notch or more, right? Because that's what we love to do with people that are at the top. Again, I rack my brain. I can't think of another society like this one that would glory in their heroes falling. There was a word for it. When someone would, at the top of the ladder would fall further down the ladder. And that word, I'll tell you the Greek word, it's where we get our English word, humiliation. 
And at the time, and Jesus is going to say something very, very different and very counter to the culture when, when he says what he, you're, you're going to see him say in just a minute. But the thought was one I think that we could agree with. The thought was there is no joy in humiliation. No joy. If you're humiliated, if you're a dishonored slave, then you're not happy. The way to be happy is what? Curse this honor around. It's to climb. It's to get to the top and to do your best to stay there. How was status expressed? I've given you those seven realms or the caste system, if you will, to borrow from another culture. But how was it expressed? It was expressed in, in many ways. I'm going to give you several if you're a note taker. The first is with clothes. With clothes. Um, the freedmen, when the boys, I don't know about the girls, but I, I was studying it. The, the boys, when they would become 14 or 15, they wouldn't, get their, they wouldn't get a car or their driver's license, but they would get a freedman cap. So the freedman boys at 14 or 15 could wear a freedman cap. And then citizens and others could wear a toga. Now, I probably shouldn't ask this to a church crowd, but you guys ever worn a toga? All right, because toga in our days, what, what's the image there? It's a drunk boy at a frat party, a.k.a. John Belushi in Animal House, right? And, and some of you in the room. But a toga was like, it was the, the thing to wear, but there were different layers of toga and the common citizens would wear a toga and some of them would combine a toga some of them could wear on the higher status they could wear a toga with a gold ring and you see here's my point i need to get to a point don't i the church was messing with rome look at jesus half brother of i'm sorry james half brother jesus james 2 2 remember this in the teaching about not showing preference are giving people places of honor. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. You see, the gold ring was real status back then, and only certain classes could wear them. Lower classes were restricted. And some in the equestrian crowd and higher, they would wear robes with purple, something special about about the color purple in that time especially. And those at the highest would wear purple. And of course the, the Senate and the emperors, it was, it was crazy gaudy as the artifacts and things that have been excavated from the Greco-Roman world uh, show us clearly. But clothes were, clothes were a status symbol. Next would be occupation. You, what, what do you do? The, the highest people would what? They were, they were part of the ruling class. They would own vast tracts of land, and they would have many, many slaves. Now, the psalmist says the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and in this culture, slaves were like cattle. You just want to have a whole bunch of them. Look, listen to this quote. Cicero, again, first century B.C., vulgar are the means of livelihood of all hired workmen whom we pay for manual Labor. I love the joke about the old guy that's complaining about the young generation. He says, some of our young people today, they think manual labor is the, the president of, of Mexico. Um, manual labor, hard work. It's praised. It's invited in our day. But back then, only certain class, the lower class, did the manual labor. Next up, in, in terms of the status, expressions of status was legal status. Having rights, being able to have due process was one of the very important things. Look at this quote from Plutarch. 
Or I'm sorry, this is a Roman legal saying. He influenced it in the second century. One law for the more honorable and another law for the more humble. Can you see how that's just, I mean, just shaken? It's just shaken the tectonic plates throughout the centuries. That what we see in America today, a division between the classes, a, a lack of injustice, dividing lines, people buying into things from the media and arguing about it on, on social media. But we see here uh, a society where that was praised, one law for the more honorable and another law for the more humble. Another th- way that legal status was expressed in that time was seating. You remember when Jesus came and he, he gave a rebuke in Matthew 23 of the religious crowd, particularly the Pharisees. He said, what? They love the greetings in the marketplace and they love the chief seats in the synagogue. In our day, when we have parties or events or banquets like they did back then, there's a special guest and that special guest is known as what? The guest of honor. That, that guest of honor sits he is seated at, he or she is seated at a special table, and that table is referred to as the head table, the, the special guest, the seat of honor for that person, the head table. And in that time, there was a lot of that. In fact, there are stories in, the, in, in history where some people would invite others of inferior rank just to kind of rub it in their noses. And there was, there was a gift giving at the time. In fact, that's the, the next way that... that uh, status was expressed in that time, gift giving. And they would, some of the wealthy people, they would invite people below them and they would give a gift that was nice and you were supposed to reciprocate or try to one up. And there was, there's stories and instances of people trying to lure them into even bankruptcy of giving gifts that they can't quite afford to give. Gift giving is, is a funny thing, isn't it? Um, and in that society, there was, there was a lot of that going on. Next up, Titles, titles, being, being called something really special, really important, being referred to in a way that other people would think that you are something. And into this world of rank, of emperors, senate, equestrian, of all these people, down to the freedmen and to the slaves, Jesus speaks, Matthew chapter 20. Let's look at this passage together. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve many and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, are you kidding me? You are taking this, what must be preserved, and you are turning it over. Just as you in righteous indignation turned over the traders, the marketplace, the, the tables in the temple, you were trying to turn over our whole, whole society. I'm telling you, the church messed with Rome. And here Jesus is saying, there's a different way to be great. That even obedience and humiliation ought to have a place in your life. In fact, to the extent that you can handle humiliation, and live humbly, 
to the extent that you can submit your will to, to be obedient to the higher power. To that extent, Jesus teaches us, will you find joy and you'll find greatness. There were two pursuits, two ways to pursue a meaningful life back then. One was to be a hero. And a hero would what? They would strive, they would strain, they would compete, they would claw to get to the top. That's why, y'all, the Olympics were huge. The Olympics was more than just sport in that society. The Olympics was, it was religion. It was really important. Be a hero. Get to the top. But another way Jesus taught, a vastly different way, is not to strive to be a hero, but to strive to be a saint. And a saint doesn't try to hold on and to catch meaning by a series of endless achievements, but to merely receive the gospel of grace. The gospel is grace. Grace is a gift. A gift is to be received, and that's what a saint does. A saint just receives the gift that God gives. A hero seeks for self-glory. A saint to give glory to another. A hero seeks to impose their will by might, by coercion, by manipulation, but a saint seeks to surrender their will. So with these, these expressions of status in this ranking system, consider as we round toward home, let's consider Jesus. Consider how Jesus expressed each of these that were so important in that culture today. Clothing. When Jesus was born, some of you know the Christmas story, don't you? We'll gather in here on Christmas Eve and have a very special candlelight ceremony. But when Jesus was born, we know he was born where? In Bethlehem. And we know that he was born in a manger, and he was wrapped, he was wrapped what? In swaddling clothes. Now, that sounds cute, doesn't it? Oh, baby Jesus in swaddling clothes. Probably a cold night because it was December, right? Uh, probably a cold night, and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Isn't that good? God's provision from above. Swaddling clothes was the clothes of peasants. In John chapter 13, it says this in a great story. Jesus, this is close to his death. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Think of the clothing element here. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet, the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The clothing, the act of a dishonored slave close to his death. And when Jesus died, think of his clothing, think of the status that he had given up. Washing the disciples' feet. There's a story of Joseph and, um, and a woman named Asenath. It's a beautiful story, ladies, I'm sure you'll agree. She said this to Joseph, no, you are my Lord from now on. Your feet are my feet and your hands are my hands. Another woman will never wash your feet. Isn't that a beautiful story? Yeah, my wife didn't think so either. (laughs) Husbands would never wash a wife's feet. Higher ranking would never wash lower ranking's feet. A rabbi would never wash his disciples' feet. But this rabbi did. Clothing, occupation. Jesus was a carpenter, we know this. He was a foot washer. 
In terms of his legal status, he was accused. He was condemned. He was executed. He died sacrificially the life of a dishonored slave. Seeding. Jesus turned the culture on its head. In Luke, it says the following. Luke 22, far, who is the greater, one who reclines at a table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You've heard it said, and how you treat the waiter, the waitress says a lot about you. How you treat the busboy, how you treat the pizza delivery guy. It's really important. I know a group of ministers, when they're looking to hire, they'll bring someone in, a man or woman in, that could be a part of their ministry team. And they've got little experiments. They've got little tests. They want to see if they have a bias for action, if they're clear thinkers and have a heart for Christ. And specifically, they're looking for little things. And they're looking to see how they treat people around them that in our society would say maybe lower on the rank. As Jesus is saying there's a different way. In fact, be the busboy. Be the busboy. A humble walk in the midst of rank, status, power, and a pecking order. And Jesus is saying there's a much different way. Jesus wants to establish a community where there is no pecking order. I read a book this week called Restructuring Honor in Roman Philippi. You can borrow it later if you want, okay? But it talks about, or in fact, it says this about the ancient world. Rome was a status-conscious society. Ever lived in a status-conscious society, community, city, anywhere? Rome was a status-conscious society in the ancient Mediterranean world, but no city was more obsessed with status than Philippi. And why do I tell you that? I think it's no accident that Paul delivered a letter, that someone stood up and had a scroll and read this letter to a church at Philippi when he was in a Philippian jail. And here's what he says about Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. And being found, Jesus being found. Uh, let's go back if you could. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You, you had it right. I had it wrong. Let's go. Yeah, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, the mind of Christ being transplanted in you. If you're going to have a humble walk, we need the mind of Christ, who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And this was said in this status-conscious Society. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing, a dishonored slave, by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He humbled himself. God becoming man, not just a man, telling us to climb a ladder, but just saying there's a place for submission, there's a place for obedience, there's a place for humiliation. Now, we have some things in the commons. We've had this for several weeks as a part of our Micah 6-8 experience. As we move toward being a church that does justice, love mercy, and walks humbly, we're asking you to go sign up. Sign up to serve the church. Sign up to serve this local body on Sunday mornings and in the week. Sign up to serve in the community. Partner with us as we partner with very devoted and deserving local agencies making uh, good things happen in Fondren and in Jackson and serve with us 
around the world. There are tables for you to sign up. But if we had tables for obedience, submission, and humiliation, how long would the line be? But if there was a table out there where I could increase my rank or my status, my power, where I could be one of the top chickens and wouldn't have to be pecked on, if I wouldn't have to be hungry and lonely and afraid in the, at the lower rung of the ladder, if I could be at the top, but how, how long would that line be? To walk humbly with our God is to have the mind of Christ transplanted in us to say there's a much, much different way. And I think Jesus wants to set up a community where those who were formerly treated as property can come in and say, I've got value, I matter, I'm equal. In fact, people are showing me preference. I've got a, in fact, they're giving me a place of honor at the table. I've never had a place of honor, but this body of believers, this, this Jesus community is saying that my life really matters. I'm important here. I've been shunned, I've been marginalized at other places, but not here. And those, listen to me, church, and those at the top, those of us who struggle like an emperor with an ego who think life is about stepping on others to move up, curses, honorum, if we've been living that way, we would come into this body and we would find out that we can stop striving and straining and competing and trying to claw our way to the top because love and relationships is not an Olympic sport. And we could merely relax and receive the grace that Jesus gives. A couple of weeks ago, Susan and I were at a restaurant and we saw an older couple come in. And she gave me that look like, you know, are we gonna be there? Is this relationship gonna last? Are you gonna treat me good like this guy? I know, I know she was looking at me that way. This old couple came in and for real, he, she was in a wheelchair and he, he showed so much preference to her and he, he set her in the booth and he situated her and he showed her honor and at one point he, he got down on the knee at eye level to listen to her. He was attending to her very needs. And I thought in that moment, I think about it now, that's a humble walk to say that my joy comes in meeting your needs that I will look and think about other people being more important than myself. Now let's go negative at the end of the sermon, okay? Let's just consider the negative. If life's been about you, if it's been about climbing the ladder and it's a cutthroat competition and you've been living like the emperor or the senate or the equestrian high ruling class and you've been thinking more about status symbols and wealth and stuff, and that's been who you've been most of your life or who you are today, where is that getting you? How's it working for you? Because though Jesus' way, like it did back then, remember when Paul wrote the Romans, he said, he didn't say, Paul, hey, to the church at Rome, I, I am a Roman citizen. He said, I am Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. And I preach the gospel of Christ, which is a stumbling block to the Jew, and it's offensive to the Greek. 
He's saying, let's rethink this. This movement that Jesus started is really growing and leaders are emerging and churches are being established and people are looking and the gospel is the hope of the world and they need to see it. And Ephesians 5, 1 says, walk with Jesus, be imitators of Jesus. We need to as leaders and as people, we need to do away with a lot of the hierarchy and the places of honor and we need to come around each other and form a circle of love and think about other people being more important than ourselves. What would happen if there was an outbreak of humbleness in Jackson? What would happen if there's an epidemic of humility in Fondren? Let's pray.